pleasure to, to be here with you this evening, um, but it's a greater pleasure to be able to open God's Word with you. And uh, we're going to do that from Psalm 90 this evening, if you'd like to have that open in front of you as we read it together. Before we read it, why don't we pray together? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is powerful to change lives. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through it. And we pray that as we come to it now, you would speak to us by your spirit and you would impact our hearts, convict us and help us uh, that we might live lives that are honoring to you lives that are more like Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read Psalm 90 together. Um, I'm reading from the ESV, the uh, extremely sound version of the Bible. So, uh, uh, So it's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom." Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Amen. I confess to to being a bit of a fan of epic war dramas. 
And there's lots of reasons for that. I love uh, these great battle scenes that, that they have in these films. They're full of action. Um, they, they may play fast and loose with historical events, but, but they have a good story normally. Uh, and they're full of, of great lines, or, or really cheesy lines, depending on what you think of epic war films. Uh, who can forget the immortal words of Russell Crowe in Gladiator? What we do in life echoes in eternity. I recently uh, sat through three hours of the film Troy, which is quite a feat. And, and, and the constant refrain throughout that film, the, the motivation for going to war is so that men may speak our names for thousands of years. But surely the greatest war film of all time has to be Braveheart. And that's a completely unbiased opinion. And there's lots of great lines in that film. Uh, but my favorite is when he says, Every man dies, but not every man really lives. Every man dies, but not every man really lives. In all of those films, the, those lines, uh, they're all about uh, the motivation to, to live life so that it works for something, so that it means something. To live a life that's worthwhile. The thought of a, a wasted life is no life at all. Better to die than to live a wasted life. None of us want to waste our lives, do we? I imagine that all of us want our lives to count for something. Today, the, the self-help market is a multi-million pound industry. And, and the reason for that is because people want to make their lives count. They want their lives to have significance, to have meaning. They want to live wisely. And in the psalm that we're looking at this evening, we read about someone who wants to make their life count. The psalmist uh, asks God for a heart of wisdom. He wants to live wisely. He says to God, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And the wisdom that the psalmist is looking for, it's the most essential wisdom that we could ever hope to attain. It's wisdom that gains a right perspective on God and on our lives so that our lives have significance. Not just for the, the time that we're here on this earth, but for eternity. So this evening, I want to just take a little time to see what the psalmist has to say, first of all, about how we go about gaining that heart of wisdom, and then secondly, what it look like, looks like to live with a heart of wisdom. So firstly then, how do we get a heart of wisdom? Now the psalmist mentions three elements that are involved in gaining a heart of wisdom. We're going to look at each of them. First of all, we get a heart of wisdom by looking to God and seeing his greatness. We're told at the beginning of this psalm that this is a psalm of Moses. You'll know that Moses was called by God to rescue God's people Israel from the land of slavery, from Egypt. Moses led them out and he, he was to lead them to the promised land. And we read in Numbers 14 that rather than enter the promised land, God's people rejected him. They refused to go into the land that God had given them. And they were judged by God with 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And from the content of this psalm, it's, it's a fair chance that this was written during those wilderness wanderings. But in spite of God's judgment for the rebellion, Moses recognizes that God is still the dwelling place of his people. That's how he begins the psalm in verse 1. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. 
A dwelling place was a place of safety and security. And so Moses is praising God for the way that he's always been there for his people. If you were to go back through the Old Testament and look in the book of Genesis, you'd see the way that God had cared for Moses' ancestors, for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He never left them. He was always with them. And God has always been there for his people. And the reason that God could be a place of safety and security for all generations was because he was there long before anybody else was. In fact, he was there even before the mountains. That's what Moses says, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before anyone or anything else, there was God. This psalm tells us that God has always existed, that he's eternal, that he created everything. When I look at a mountain, I cannot imagine a time when it wasn't there. But to God, it's as if they were born yesterday. He remembers a time when there weren't any mountains. Now, I don't know about you, but when I stop and think about that, it makes me feel pretty small. Long before any mountains and valleys and fields, long before any oceans and and rivers and streams, long before the sun and moon and stars began to shine, God was there to create it all. He's always existed, and He will always exist. He has no beginning, and He has no end. From everlasting to everlasting, Moses says, He is God. And then he goes on in verse 4 to say that for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. To God, a thousand years are like yesterday, like a, like a security guard's night shift. We've just come to the end of a decade, and, and when we look back over the past ten years, so many things have happened in our world September the 11th, the Boxing Day tsunami, the war on terror, the first African-American president, the invention of the iPod and Facebook, uh, internet sites like Facebook and Twitter. Interestingly, John Piper says that one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. Interesting thought. We've seen TV shows that have swept our nation, shows like Britain's Got Talent and and X Factor. It's hard to believe that nobody knew who Simon Cowell was over 10 years ago. Oh, to return to the 90s. (laughs) Films like like Lord of the Rings and and, and Avatar have have pushed the boundaries of, of technology to new levels. Crocs and and Ugg boots and other ridiculous fashions have all appeared. And and that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the last 10 years. A lot can happen in 10 years. But a thousand years, where do we even start? Whole nations have come and gone. Empires have risen and fallen. Countless things have happened that we will never even know about. To us, a thousand years is a long, long time. But to God, a thousand years are like yesterday. When we consider the eternal nature of God, it ought to humble us. It ought to make us feel small. 
The first step to gaining a heart of wisdom is to stand in awe of this eternal God. When we stand in awe of God and we we can consider all of humanity's achievements, they are nothing compared to this eternal God and His greatness. So we need to stand in awe of God. And then secondly, we need to be aware of the brevity of our lives. For the eternal God, a thousand years might be like a day. But our lives are short. We're here, and then we're gone. And that's what Moses focuses on in verses 3 to 6 of this psalm. He writes in verse 3 that God turns men back to dust. At the very beginning of the Bible, we, we learn that God created the first man, Adam, from dust. And here Moses is saying that, that just as we came from dust, one day we'll return to it. And whether we like it or not, that's a reality for every single one of us here. All of us are going to die. And our bodies will eventually become dust. Our lives are short. And then Moses gives a series of images that remind us again and again about the fleeting nature of life and the reality of death for all of us. So in verse 5, he says, You sweep men away as with a flood. And the image there is of a flood that just wipes everything out. Death is like a flood because, because it sweeps everyone up. It doesn't discriminate. A couple of years ago, uh, my wife and I uh, went on holiday to the south of France, and uh, during our time there, we took a day trip uh, to Monaco. And uh, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, just the wealth there is unbelievable. And while we were there, uh, we took a walk down to the harbour, and uh, just the amazing boats in the harbour that were there, and, and all these fancy cars driving past. And, and there was a car, a red Ferrari, drove up the, the hill uh, from the harbour, and uh, there was a kid about uh, 17 driving it. And I just sat there and I thought, wow, that kid's parents must just be seriously wealthy to give him a, a, a brand new Ferrari. Uh, we got down to the bottom of the hill and they were selling Ferrari rides for, for 60 euros around the Monaco circuit. So, so that burst that bubble. Um, uh, but, but in the evening, uh, we stayed around and, and there, was a, there was a fireworks display in the evening. Uh, and we were, uh, it was over the harbour. We were sat up in the, the cheap seats and, and watching it and, and this amazing display uh, over Monaco Harbour. And at the end of the display, uh, people started to, to give a round of applause. Um, but then that was drowned out by uh, these people on their yachts just start to sound their horns in their yachts uh, in approval of, of this display. And I, as I sat there up in the cheap seats, I thought, wow, wouldn't it be nice to have one of those, uh, to sail around the Med in a huge yacht and, and, and just hang out in Monaco watching fireworks. Um, and that was, you know, for a minute I thought that, and, and then I realized that really all of it It's just temporary, isn't it? It doesn't have any lasting significance. It means nothing when when the flood of death washes over us. Death is the great leveler. Rich or poor, young or old, successful or unsuccessful, we all die. We're all swept away in the flood of death. And and we can't take anything with us. And then Moses says, verse 5, death makes our lives like a dream. When you wake up from a dream, it's hard to remember all the details. It's, it's, it quickly becomes hazy. And Moses is saying that, that, that that's what the memories of someone's life are like after they die. 
uh, just over uh, 18 months ago. And my dad died suddenly. And uh, over the past uh, time, just as, as I've thought, all I have are memories. And uh, over time, those memories, they fade slightly. That's what it's like. Someone dies, the world keeps turning, and eventually they're forgotten. Then Moses uses the image of grass in verses 5 to 6, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. In our country, we've got the perfect weather for lush green grass. Uh, Any thoughts that that we might be having a, a a, a tropical summer. We were reminded uh, this afternoon uh, with that shower that, that uh, we do live in Scotland. Um, but in Moses' part of the world, uh, because of the heat, the morning grass would be scorched as the day wore on. And by the evening, it would end up being dried and withered. And Moses is saying that our lives are like that. For a time, we might flourish. We might uh, enjoy huge success in this world. We may be wealthy and, and, and famous. But that will only last for a short time. And soon enough, we'll fade away and die. When we think over the past year, and we think of some of the famous people that have died, uh, one that sticks out above all others has got to be Michael Jackson. We've just remembered uh, his, his death. It uh, was just a year ago, uh, just a short time ago. While he, while he was alive, he was, he was known as the king of pop. He enjoyed huge success across the globe. Anywhere he went, he was, he was mobbed. And, and I remember just after he died that they showed that infamous documentary uh, that Martin Bashir did with him that got him in a lot of trouble. And uh, during the, the documentary, there's a scene in it where uh, Michael Jackson is shopping in some expensive store and he decides to buy an Egyptian sarcophagus, as that was the kind of things that he, he tended to buy. Um, and uh, Martin Bashir said to him, is this what you hope to be put in when you die? And he turned and he looked at Martin Bashir and he said, no, I I don't want to die. And it was as if he thought he never would. And that's the way that that so many people live their lives, isn't it? Even though death is a reality that we all have to face, we live our lives as if it's never going to happen to us. John Calvin, when writing about this psalm, he said this, though men can measure the distance of the moon to the earth, Few have the wisdom to number a mere 70 years. And so they shamble through life with no view of their end. So many people live as if they're guaranteed a long life. But this psalm is clear that only God is eternal. And it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what we might achieve in this life. We cannot escape death. All of us will wither and die, and our lives will be over much sooner than we could ever imagine. The English poet Henry Twells, in his famous poem, summed it up when he wrote, When as a child I laughed and wept, time crept. When as a youth I dreamt and talked, time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. When older still I daily grew, time flew. Soon I shall find on travelling on, time gone. We're here on this earth for such a short time. And a heart of wisdom understands that. It understands that our lives are brief. So a heart of wisdom stands in awe of the eternal God. It understands that our lives are brief. And then thirdly, a heart of wisdom sees our guilt before God. 
Why is it that our lives are so short? Why is it that all of us have to face death? Well, the psalm gives us the answer in verses 7 to 11. And the answer that we have is that that death isn't some accident. It's not down to fate. It's down to God. God is the one who gives us life, and He's the one who brings our lives to an end. And this psalm teaches that the reason that our lives are short, the reason that we die, is because God is angry at our sin. Death is God's punishment for rejecting Him. In verse 3, we see that reference to Genesis 3, to the fall. And we learn in Genesis 3 that that Adam and Eve sinned against God when they ate the fruit from the one tree that He told them not to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God had warned them that, that if they did eat from that tree, then they would die. We read about that in Genesis 2. And as a result of of Adam and Eve's disobedience, that's exactly what happens. He tells Adam in verse 19 of Genesis 3 that he would return to dust. Death was, was never part of God's original creation. It only came into this world when human beings rejected him. And it's a constant reminder that God is angry at sinful people. Now, God's anger is wrath. It's not some uncontrollable, unpredictable rage that just flares up from time to time. It's a controlled, holy anger against all that's evil. According to verse 7, it's an anger that should terrify us because it's an anger that destroys us. But the reality is is that most people live their lives totally unaware that God is angry with them. Moses says, verse 11, who knows the power of your anger? Well, the answer is very few, isn't it? So many people go through life without any fear of God. They think that, that he's some kind of cosmic gift dispenser, that he's all about love, and that, that he can't do anything about death. He doesn't have any control over that. He's just interested in giving us good things. And they think that as long as you do your best to, to live a good life, well, then God will be more than happy to accept you. But the Bible teaches that God is a God of justice and holiness, as well as a God of love. That he's completely perfect and good and and pure and, and, and he can't have anything to do with sin. He has to punish evil. And that the suffering and shortness of life is part of God's punishment for sin. That's what Moses says in verse 9 and 10. That our days pass away under God's wrath. That our 70 or 80 years, uh, short years, are, are full of toil and trouble. That the whole process of, of aging and dying is part of God's judgment on sinful people. Many people don't see their sin before a holy God, so, so they don't fear Him. But this psalm is clear that God sees our sin. And unless we see our sin as God sees it, well, we'll never fear Him. We'll never take His wrath seriously. We'll think that we're, we're doing fine. Instead of living lives of wisdom, we'll live them foolishly for the moment, without any thought of the judgment day that's waiting for us. And on that day, there will be nowhere to hide. Look at verse 8. Moses says, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. God sees our iniquities. He sees our sin. Moses says that our sins are laid out before Him. Everything that we've ever said, thought, and done, God sees it all. Nothing is hidden from Him. Even our secret sins, the things that that we know are wrong, but we manage to hide from others, the things that nobody else knows about, 
God's light exposes the darkest corners of our hearts, our deepest thoughts. He sees it all. And before a perfect, holy God, none of us can stand. None of us can say, I'm acceptable to God because I've done my best. None of us can meet God's perfect standard. On that day, if you're trusting in yourself, if that's where you're looking for for safety and security, well, you will stand guilty before God. And you'll be facing an eternity in hell, separated from God's loving presence, in a place where, where, where a day will seem like a thousand years, where the pain and anguish of this brief life will seem like nothing compared to the eternal suffering that awaits. To ignore our sin and to rely on our own goodness is the epitome of living a foolish life. But if we see our sin as God sees it, if we see our guilt before a holy God, if we see that the reason for the shortness of our lives, the reason for our deaths is because of the seriousness of sin, and we see our need for rescue, then we will gain a heart of wisdom and we'll cry out to God for mercy just as Moses does in this psalm. And that brings us to the last part of this psalm and what it looks like to live with a heart of wisdom. And we see that in this last section, verses 13 to 17. Verse 13, Moses cries out to God, Return or relent, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Now the title that Moses uses for God there, notice uh, Lord is in block capitals. And that is a translation of the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. It's a, it's a personal name for God, and it speaks about God's love and faithfulness to his people, his covenant love. So Moses is crying out to the God who's been the dwelling place for all the generations of his people. And he's the same God who hears the cries of his people today. The God who has compassion and mercy on those who fear him. A heart of wisdom will see who God is. It will see the shortness of life and the seriousness of sin. And it will cry out to God for mercy. And that cry has been wonderfully answered in Jesus Christ. God has demonstrated his love and compassion by coming into this world as a man, by living a life of suffering and rejection, and by dying a horrendous death in the place of sinful people like us. Because of our sins, because of our iniquities, we deserve God's wrath. But on the cross, Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. Because of Jesus' death, instead of knowing God's wrath and anger, we can know God's compassion and mercy if we cry out to Him. Because Jesus rose to life again, instead of facing God's punishment of death, we can know eternal life. Because of Jesus, no matter who we are, no matter what we might have done in our lives, we can be forgiven if we turn from our sin and we cry out to God for mercy. Because of Jesus, this life does not need to be futile and meaningless. 
but can be a life of purpose where every moment that we live has eternal significance if we're trusting in Him. To live with a heart of wisdom is to live every moment of our lives in the light of that wonderful compassion and mercy displayed in Jesus Christ. And that's what Moses prays for in these last few verses. He says, verse 14, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Moses recognizes that that true satisfaction is not to be found in in the gods of this world in fame or money or or success. It's to be found in the, the steadfast love of the Lord. Instead of living our lives under God's wrath because of Jesus, all who trust in Him live them in the safety and security of God's love. He is our dwelling place. He is the one in whom we find true and lasting satisfaction. And then he goes on in verse 15. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Even as Christians, we have to endure the suffering and tragedy of a, of a world that's cursed by sin. In this life, we face the loss of people that we love. We have to endure illness and loneliness and depression and heartache. Many of you will be facing those things as realities in your own lives. Well, one of the wonderful truths of the gospel is that this prayer of Moses has been answered far more abundantly than we could ever imagine. Because of Jesus, we have the promise not just of happiness for as many days as we've been afflicted. We have the promise of an eternity of joy and gladness where there will be no more suffering or sorrow or death, where the hurts and pains of this fleeting life will pale into insignificance compared with the glorious joy of knowing God's loving presence forevermore. What a great comfort that is for the Christian in the midst of suffering. And then verse 16, Moses prays, let your work be shown to your servants and your your glorious power to their children. And that's a prayer that, that God's work would have lasting significance beyond our own lives and into the lives of our children. The greatest thing surely that we could ever pray for our children is that they would know God's love and power in their own lives. As a, as a new dad, that's something I'm learning to pray for my son, that, that he wouldn't waste his life on the gods of this world, but he would know what it is to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior, and he would experience his glorious power in his life. And then finally, verse 17, Moses prays that God would bless our work. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. A heart of wisdom is a heart that that stands in awe of God. And it sees that lasting significance is found in living every moment for Him. It sees that all that this world has to offer, all the fame and money and success mean nothing. It's a heart that's determined to make every day count. It's a heart that sees that a truly effective life can only be lived with God's blessing upon it. And it's a heart that prays this prayer with Moses. Lord, 
All that I achieve in this life, all that I am, means nothing unless you establish the work of my hands, unless you give it meaning and purpose. In my studies, Lord, establish the work of my hands. Make all that I do count for eternity. In my relationships, Lord, establish the work of my hands. May I see the lives of my friends and my family and my neighbors and my workmates transformed by your grace. In my career, Lord, establish the work of my hands. May I not be interested in my own success. May I only be interested in your glory. May you make my career have eternal significance. In this church, Lord, establish the work of our hands as we serve you. Would we see our city transformed as more and more are added to your kingdom? That's certainly our prayer and leaf. A work that seems like foolishness to the world in so many ways, but our prayer is that God would establish the work of our hands and that his kingdom would grow into the lives of those 80,000 people. If you'll excuse a Presbyterian quoting a Baptist, C.H. Spurgeon, who died over a a hundred years ago, whose time has has come come and gone, said this about Psalm 90. We come and go, but the Lord's work abides. We are content to die so long as Jesus lives and his kingdom grows. That's what it means to have a heart of wisdom. To live our lives knowing that we have a limited amount of time on this earth, that we will come and go. But to live them, longing to see them count for eternity. Safe in the knowledge that if we are in Christ, then God is our dwelling place and we have nothing to fear in death. Because in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. Let us pray.